0: Hey, this is Brennan, yourself from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. We are in a series we're calling Family Matters, and it's actually our second crack at it. We started it last year, and we felt very much like we needed to do another round at it because we wanted to move into just really practical stuff to help bring health and flourishing into our homes. And so for the last week we talked about the the role of parenting and being a good child and how that's supposed to bring, it's designed to bring health into the home. And today I want to talk about what I think is the singular most uh, determining factor onto health in a home that what we're going to cover today has been linked to increased economic stability. Uh, A kid who grows up in a home with one of these is less likely to be depressed, commit suicide, 122% less likely to get expelled or have behavioral problems. Uh, It decreases the likelihood of imprisonment, uh, increases the likelihood of having better relationships and job stability. Uh, A recent CDC study showed that children who come from homes with a healthy marriage of a mother and a father are incrementally, are largely better off in every health category. I want to talk for a few minutes today about what I think is the number one most important thing we can do in our homes to bring health, and that is make our marriages better. Healthy marriages. As believers, we realize a few things about marriage. One We have to realize, we're going to talk about this, how critical it is that we figure out how to bring health into our relationships. We also know, if you have been watching over the last handful of years, and this isn't new to our time, but we see it in some unique ways, marriage itself has largely been under attack, has it not? We're seeing in our day not just the attack of the idea of marriage. I love how uh, Pastor Mike in his substack this week, if you read Pastor Mike's blog, you'll know he's an incredible, incredible writer. If you haven't subscribed, please do. But he did a post this week called The Thrupple Next Door. Yeah, he's, he's very good with words. And he's talking about polyamory and the redefinition of marriage. And he said the line in it that marriage is supposed to be an ideal to shoot for, not an idea to shoot at. And it really has become that in our day where it seems as though the marriage unit is highly under attack. And it would stand to reason. If marriage really is as powerful as what I believe it is and what I think the Scripture says it is, then it would be a wise strategy of the enemy to attack the marriage, would it not? And we are seeing that happen in our day. And I want to take a few minutes and just really practically talk about how we can better our marriage relationships. Now, before we do that, I want to mention, and I want to just give a special word to to our singles. Our church is made up of a lot of married couples, but also a lot of singles. And it needs to be said That the Bible does put incredible weight on marriage. It says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But what the church needs to guard and recover is that the blessing of marriage does not inversely mean that it is not blessed to be single. So hear me, single brothers and sisters. You, you are not in some second-tier category that can't experience the full blessing of God. To be Christian means that God brings fulfillment to us, and we believe two things to be true. One, marriage is a picture of the life of God and the relationship of heaven and earth. It's a shadow of what is ultimately true, but so is singleness. And our Lord himself was single. And Paul himself said... It's actually, I wish that all of you could be single like me, he said. He was walking in such fulfillment that he felt bad for the married people. So it is actually possible to be 100% called to singleness, even as we also believe that marriage is a good thing. Amen? Now, I'll, I'll give you also, I'll mention that next week and the week after will be very practical for all people, whether you're single or married, so stay tuned. But one of my prayers today for our single family, family members is this, that you, you would be able to sit there, take what you can take, but also celebrate to know that God is working to the health of the married people in your community. You should be able to sit there and say, God, it is so awesome that you are helping to build healthy homes. Please do it, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about marriage. Healthy home hack number two build great marriages. Build great marriages. How many of you know marriages need to be built? And they don't come out of the box altogether. Uh, I have here in my hands, I, I am so scared to hold this right now. In my home, this right here is more valuable than a Stradivarius. Feel like I'm holding an 800-year-old like Russian Fabergé egg. Uh, This is not my daughter's or either of my sons. This belongs to my wife. (laughs) I I bought this for her for Christmas. This is the Up house from the movie Up. This is gonna float away, and uh, she wanted to do a Lego project, so I got her this, and and it was so fun for me to watch her take the box so excited with the picture on the box of how novel this little house is going to be. And she's going to put it together. It's going to be so cute. And she's going to set it up. And it's just going to be easy. And it was... Now, you're going to judge me, and it might even like, hurt me for talking about how to have healthy marriages here in a minute, but I really enjoyed how hard of a time she had putting this together. <laughs> uh, as the one in the marriage who for now over a decade has been the singular Lego builder, I have, you know, there's the 10,000 hour rule to be an expert. I am 100% a Lego master at this point. Uh, Every year, my kids get these huge Lego sets and Yours truly builds them until they get a little bit older. So it was fun to watch my wife learn that it doesn't come out of the box all easy-peasy. And she had to sit there and struggle through it and pour out the pieces on the table and war to get this complete product. Now she did it. Congratulations, Melanie. You have done it. You did a great job. Uh, But I thought, okay, there's a smattering of applause for the adults who built a Lego. Uh, I really am scared, though. She warned me with an inch of my life. She says, all those pieces don't come home. You are in trouble. So, but I thought it was a great picture of marriage, like how so often we have this picture on the box and this idea in our mind as to how it's going to go, and it's just going to come together. And then when we step into that relationship, we find out there's a lot of pieces everywhere, And sometimes we miss steps, and sometimes we get things wrong, and building that quaint little perfect marriage we had in mind becomes a challenge that maybe we weren't fully ready for. Is that true? And this is why we we all know marriage is so hard. That relationship is really difficult. I I was online this week just finding some fun tweets about marriage, and they're everywhere. There are so many. The Internet just is a gift that keeps on giving when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, this lady says, "Imagine dating, falling in love, getting married, having kids, and only then realizing that the person you chose is literally incapable of whispering." Uh, my wife, this guy, my wife has this. My wife has this cute way of saying, "I need to do something" by saying, "We need to do something." Yeah, these are going to hit everybody who's married. The missus and I have been married so long, she can finish my sentences. She also starts most of them and supplies the middle parts, too. Uh, Wife, trying to open a can of tuna. Our can opener's broken me, so it's a can't opener? Dad jokes, anyone? Wife, I can't believe I married you. Uh, My husband listens to me like he doesn't realize there's going to be a quiz later. Cute. Uh... Not sure if my wife didn't hear me say I was coming down with a cold or if she's ignoring me. Guess I better mention it another 67 times. Uh, Man, cold is real. Been listening to my wife talk about her work drama and I'm trying to think of the best way to let her know I love her, but I think I'm on Denise's side on this one. Uh, Has anybody ever been there? Uh Uh-huh. You're just like, yeah, okay, yeah, yes, I'm with you. Uh, marriage is amazing because you learn lots of things about yourself. For example, today I learned that my favorite shade of beige curtains is I don't care. Please just pick one. I'm in hell. Uh, yes, this is <laughs> me about to ask my wife about her day. It's a cat pulling the pin of a grenade. Anybody? Okay, not as funny. Uh, marriage is sometimes apologizing for the stuff you did in your wife's dream. Has anybody ever? If you've been married, we've done that. All of us been so mad at our spouse for something they did, not in real life. Hope my marriage can make it through another season of disagreement over the pronunciation of pecan. I thought that, was, that, guy's, that, that guy's a good follow, Simon Holland. He's funny. But I want to take a few minutes, though, realizing marriage is hard. It doesn't come out of the box finished. In fact, it is a lifelong, ongoing process to build our marriage relationships. But I want to talk for a few minutes about some things that we can do, just really practical, so you can relax, just practical stuff, that we can do to make our marriages better. Because I'm convinced of this. If our marriages get better, the home gets better. And if the home gets better, I believe society and the church and communities get better. Can I get an amen? So let's like target right down to the nucleus, the fabric of what makes a home tick, and that is the relationship of a marriage. Here's three things. I got three things I want to cover today. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. But three areas... They probably aren't going to blow your mind. They're probably things you've thought of before, but I feel like this is one of those things we need to hear over and over and over again. How many of you know you don't drift towards health? I wish you did. I wish we accidentally got six-pack abs. It just doesn't work like that. We accidentally get love handles don't we? Yes, that's how it goes. And it's the same in everything. It takes discipline and repetition. And so I want to hit three things. Here's the first thing we have to do to get marriages better. The marriage gets better, first and foremost, when the submission gets better. Husbands, do not elbow your wife right now. It's just pro tip, pro tip. The marriage gets better when submission gets better. I want, to, I want to just unpack something for us for a few minutes today. What marriage is designed to run on? Hear me is humility and submission. It's actually designed to run on humility and submission, but what marriage tends to run on is a kind of reciprocity and subversion. Has anybody ever noticed that? That oftentimes our relationships can default into this I scratch your back, you scratch mine sort of relationship. And that's not entirely bad. Reciprocity is not the enemy. That's a good thing. It's an advantage in our marriages that we look out and help one another. However, if that is the bedrock in which or the economy in which your relationship unfolds, what can happen is you can get into this ongoing match of marital tennis. Anybody played that game before? I'm going to get her flowers and she's going to do something for me right? If she's going to spend that money on this, then I'm going to spend my money on this. If she's going to be mean, then I'm going to be mean. And we can get in this relational back and forth, returning shot for shot or positive thing for positive thing. But here's the thing, you've got to understand that that is not the way that God designed marriage to function. The reality is marriage was designed to function through this relationship of submission and trust and ongoing submission, but there are some things working against you in that. First, our society is a me society, is it not? It is a society that says it's built around you. Second, I believe there is an enemy who hates your marriage. And he is trying to do whatever he can to destroy your marriage. And he knows if he can keep you in a... My relationship is to try to sort of make it work. It's my little kingdom and her little kingdom. We're going to try to figure this thing out. If he can keep it there, he knows he can rob you of the life and power and joy that God has. Because there's a deeper way the marriage is supposed to work. Ultimately, though, here's the thing that destroys our marriage. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. This inverted posture and perspective in our relationship. I love how C.S. Lewis describes the road to hell. He says that the, the road to ruin, the road to hell comes through eternally and forever retreating into oneself. Cutting yourself off more and more, not just from relationships with others, but particularly with God. And this is the road that culture pushes. This is the road that Satan pushes. And this is the road that our broken self pushes. And the scripture gives us real clarity on this. It shows us how sin and Satan and the self, these things all tend to come in and corrupt and complicate our marriages. In Genesis chapter 3, you see this picture of what happens so the enemy comes in he and sin breaks into God's perfect creation and all of a sudden you see that the man and the woman that God made are at odds and it even gives us a clue into what happens when sin and self enters the relationship God even says here's what's going to happen now because of sinfulness he's speaking to the man and the woman to speaking to the woman specifically but it gives us clues into how this plays out he says you will desire to control your husband now there will not be, this will not be based on a bedrock of trust and mutual submission. You're going to desire to try to control him. And that's out of your brokenness and selfishness. And then it flips over and says, but he will rule over you. And so God is right here in Genesis 3 showing what happens because of sin. And the corruption of sin is this relational conflict that, that plays out between a man and a woman. That we are both trying to win one another over and rule over. The woman will try to control your husband, and he, will try to, and he will rule over you. And this is, I mean, you can look all around society and your own relationship for examples of this, but don't we see it? Husbands who try to maybe, maybe are domineering, or overly aggressive, or unwilling to give, or maybe checked out. Or a, or a woman who, who's controlling or manipulative, trying to make him do what she wants him to do. The Bible speaks of both these things. The Bible speaks about it how guys can be domineering and destructive and women can be manipulative. Can they not? It feels, it feels quiet in here. It's in the Bible, Proverbs 25. Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Take it up with the Bible. No, it, it, it's talking though. It shows that because of sinfulness, the default mode of your relationship is going to be you're close but not, but you're you're actually at odds. That there is this sort of resistance that comes from the self that is ultimately trying to rule over the other person. But here's what the Bible wants us, and the Bible speaks for us as married couples. Here's ultimately how we're supposed to operate: is with something called mutual voluntary submission. The, the design of a marriage relationship, according to God, is mutual voluntary submission. Now keep this in mind, how because of sin and brokenness, the relationship is ultimately this power struggle. But the scripture actually helps us understand that we're supposed to operate in mutual voluntary submission. That, that both of us are supposed to take this, this, this decision of submitting to one another. And I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. This is what we get out of Ephesians chapter 5. Look what Paul says. This is instructions to the Christian household still. And he's talking about marriages. It says, further, submit to one another. You see that? So who has to submit in a, in a marriage relationship? Yes, both. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So to be right-ordered and to have this sort of Christ-centered, Christ-mindedness in your relationship you are called to submit to each other. And now watch this. He, he breaks down how this is supposed to look. For wives, this means submit to your husband as unto the Lord. It means just defer to him. Yield. Trust him. Submit. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body. Christ, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now... Many times the church and uh, a pastor's gotten up and likes to preach verse 21 to 24. <laughs> Just leave that other part out of there. Go home and do your homework, ladies. Just do what he says. But that's actually not what it says. Look, he, he's, he's addressing both the husband and the wife. And he says, wives, your job is to submit to him, surrender to him, yield to him, hold him up, defer to him. But watch what the job of the, of the husband is. For husbands, he actually raises the bar. This means love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. Just think about that. He gave up his life for her. That sounds an awful lot like surrender, doesn't it? Sounds an awful lot like submission. It sounds an awful lot like yielding and saying, not my will, but your will. I'm going to hold you up. How can I serve you? And didn't Jesus do that? And didn't he do that to the most undeserving spouse of all time? Us. Amen? I mean, you think about how Christ loved the church. He loved us even though we didn't deserve it. Even though there was no promise of us reciprocating that love. He did it. I mean, the church, it, it, We all of us have fallen away. All of us have wandered off. We are all adulteresses before the Almighty. Amen? And yet he laid himself down for us. We were guilty and he took his shame on our behalf. He moved first over and over and over again. And and continues to this day to extend mercy and love to us. Regardless of what we do. See, oftentimes this this becomes a good idea. Like, oh yeah, that'd be great if, if I submit and then she'll submit and we'll be happily ever after. And that is true. However, Jesus says, no, just submit. Just surrender. Just live in this mutual voluntary submission and watch what I do. There's no strings attached to love. Amen? And so often in our relationship, there are strings attached. If I do this, then hopefully she'll do that. If she said that, then I'm going to say this. And what the call here is in the scripture is, no, 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 no. You are just called to give to one another. Not considering whether you're going to get back what you'd hoped. That is what it looks like to love Christ like he loved the church. Love as Christ loved the church. That he, he lowered himself, he offered himself. Jesus gives us the picture and the power to love each other. And this is what true biblical marriage is all about. It means to become a servant of your spouse. Both ways. It's dying to self. Amen? It's hard, but it's true. It's trusting that when I do, when I die to self, this is the Christian component of it. It's not, it's not unto no end. This is why he says do it unto, out of reverence for Christ. I can die to self and submit and serve my wife not, not knowing whether she's going to reciprocate like I want her to because I'm getting from God what I really need. That's... And we get into big trouble in our relationships because we're looking to our spouse to be our savior. And they were never designed to do that. And so real life flows and I'm set free to serve and to give and to give and to give and to give because I'm receiving not from what they give back, I'm receiving from him. That's how God ultimately designed it to work. Tim Keller, in one of, one of the best books on marriage you're going to find, it's called The Meaning of Marriage, he said this this, this. this really encapsulates it well. If two spouses each say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in the marriage, you have the prospect of a truly great marriage. The Christian principle that needs to be at work here is spirit-generated selflessness. Do that in us, Lord. Amen. Help us, Lord. You need the help. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But you need the help of the Holy Spirit in this. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It means taking your mind off yourself and realizing that in Christ, your needs are going to be met and are, in fact, being met so that you don't look at your spouse as your Savior. People with a deep grasp of the gospel can turn around and admit that their selfishness is the problem and that they're going to work on it. The gospel sets us free. The gospel causes us to do self-inventory and to die to self. He goes on, he says, And when they do that, they will often discover an immediate sense of liberation of waking up from a troubling dream. They see how small-minded they were being, how small the issue is in light of the grand scheme of things. Those who stop concentrating on how unhappy they are find that their happiness is growing. You have to lose yourself to find yourself. See, those central principles that Jesus taught us, they, they, are, they are even more focused in the marriage relationship. They are brought right to bear. How many of you know, like, the marriage is going to cause you to be confronted with your own selfishness. And the the decision of a married wife or a married husband is in that selfishness to crucify it out of reverence to Christ. Does that make sense? So it was meant to operate on mutual submission, humility, but it's powered by the very presence of Jesus. It's powered by Jesus. So, First tip: Your marriage will get better if you do submission better. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. I know. I know. I know. This is like handling uranium. In, like it's it, talking marriage, but it's it's gonna help. It's gonna be helpful. Number two: Marriage gets better when the conflict and communication gets better. Amen. Anybody, where are my married people at? If you've been married more than like 10 years, help a brother out and just say, yeah, that's true. It's true. When the conflict and the communication gets better, here is something I know for a fact. Conflict does not destroy marriages. Unresolved conflict destroys marriages. In fact, conflict isn't just normal, but I'll go one beyond that. Conflict is necessary. It's actually necessary. In your marriage, here's what you need to know. Your marriage is designed to bring those things out and to cause those power struggles and that conflict. It is one of God's primary agents of transformation in our lives, our spouse. Now, oftentimes, because we don't understand how the sequence of a marriage works, we'll think something's gone wrong. We're at odds. He's driving me crazy. What's wrong? We used to love each other so much. But you have to understand God designed the marriage relationship to flow in this way because conflict and resolve conflict leads to a deepening, more lasting, more vital life as you process through these things. There's a psychologist named Dr. Harville Hendricks, and he outlined that there's three main stages of a marriage relationship. The first stage he calls the romantic stage, where you are just your Twitter paid it, you're, you're head over heels. You're just, you're smitten. They're so perfect. They can do no wrong. You can't be apart. There's this magnetism. you got to be with them. You can't get close enough. You're just head over heels. And then you commit to one another. And then that, that, that season and that stage, it, it plays itself out. And then you get married and the honeymoon happens. And then eventually they're no longer, they're no longer, oh they're, it's that guy that won't pick his crap up off the floor. Right? Isn't it amazing that oftentimes the things that attracted to us in the first place become the most irritating qualities about each other? Oh, he's so independent. He's so courageous. He doesn't take any crap off anybody. He won't listen to me. It drives me crazy. Right? It's it's, it's amazing how that shifts. There's There's this romantic stage. And then by design, and this is God's design, uh, Hendricks says that if you didn't have this romantic stage, where where like you're so head over heels, you would never actually sign up to get married. Like if it went right to conflict stage, no one would do this. Like what? It's like God's designed to like hypnotize us long enough to get into this relationship. It's true. There's just this like drunken love thing where we're just like, I got to be with you. I got to be with you forever. And then forever starts. <laughs> and the power struggle stage begins. Has anybody been married long enough to know the power struggle stage? It's real. And all of a sudden, you start having these issues where you're, you're, you're confronting one another and it's getting, there are tensions that have to that come up. Hendrick says that without the first stage, you would never commit. Without the second stage, we would never find ourselves in the process where we are at very least confronted with our own selfishness and delusion. But he, go, he goes on, he says, but where a lot of people quit in this power struggle stage, he says this, I think it's so important. Quitting during the power struggle stops something beautiful that is struggling to be born in the relationship. You'll be getting rid of the partner, but keeping the problems. Better to keep the partner and get rid of the problems. You don't just need your partner. You need marriage to reveal your shortcomings together and refine them. And and listen, so I just want to, so if some of you like, I mean, I know this is true. At a church our size, I bet bet at least 200 people fought on the way to this church. Like, (laughs) that's just facts. Just facts. So, like, it doesn't matter. It, it happened in Halifax. It happened in St. Stephen today. There's some, yeah, you did. And you came in, you're like, oh, we're great. You just put the smile on, perfect little angels. You check them into kids' world. And No, it's, it's part of the relationship, this conflict. But ultimately, it's designed, and, and I can speak, I can testify to this that, that as we power through the struggles, Those victories that God brings, if we'll just stick with it and we'll learn and we'll yield and we'll let him refine us, it does take you to a deeper love, to this stage. And I I can say after 18 years of marriage, like like what we have is so much better than it was when I was Twitterpated at 23 years old. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm in love with her, and yeah, I still find her so beautiful, but there's things I know about her and I know about myself so much more than I did almost two decades ago, and I would never trade what we have. Like, we have built a wealth of a relationship. Does that make sense? But it comes through the fire, it comes through the struggle. Like, the gold gets refined by heat, the diamonds by pressure. And this is how your marriage is designed to work. So I want to just help some people who fought on the way to church today just say God's bringing the gold out in my relationship. <laughs> he is. Can I just, can I though just speak to the lie of like de- being defeated or even that, that there should be no struggles in your relationship. It's just a lie. You know, the one, you know the relationships I worry more about? It's not the ones that fight with each other. It's the ones that have no fight left. It's like, eh, whatever. They, I don't care what they do. It's the it, fight. The fight represents some passion. And it represents a process that God is doing. Do, here, here's the question Do you view your marriage as problems to solve or a process that you're in? It's a process that you're in, it's a God given process. So here's a couple ideas. Two realizations that will promote marital health. Number one, just realize, and I've been speaking on this, realize that conflict is a normal and necessary part of any deep loving relationship. The differences that God used to attract us to each other, he will also use to refine us with. Isn't that true? Maybe the thing that drew you to that person that now repels you in some ways, maybe that's God's sovereign design to give that part of himself to you through them. Oh, you didn't want to hear that today. you like, no, no God, wants, God wants to deposit that in your life. But number two most conflict is rooted in communication breakdowns. Can I get an amen from the merry people? Like a lot of our conflict, now there, I know there's conflict that comes from selfishness and there are majorly destructive things that we can do to each other in our relationships. But a lot of it, 90% of the ongoing conflict that happens in our relationship comes because we just don't know how to communicate with each other. There are communication issues. We have to realize as two different genders and personalities, learning to communicate really well is critical to a healthy marriage. And I'll tell you what, it takes decades, y'all. It does. And and, and part of that, again, is the beauty of discovery. How many of you have been married long enough to know, like, I keep discovering things about my spouse. And it's awesome. Like, you are, you are married to someone that God put, like, infinite potential, God put his glory inside, his image on. There is no end to discovering one another, but it makes communication hard because we're opposites attract, and we're very different. And there's some ways that we have to learn how to communicate. First is we have to learn how to listen. Do you hear me? We gotta learn how to listen. We gotta learn, like, how to interpret what they are saying. And I have found that there are two primary channels of communication that oftentimes I get my wires crossed, and then problems happen and the wrong sparks fly. I, I noticed that there's two general categories of communication. First, we can communicate just for the sake of information, it's logical communication. Uh, like, we're asking just basic questions, trying to get information back. You know, like, are we at church right now? Yes or no? Yes. It's, like, it's an it's a informational, transactional, logical conversation. However, we can also communicate not trying to get information data back, but emotional data. If some of our communication for information, some of it's just for affirmation. I don't want the data. I want a feeling. So if I ask you, are you at church right now, you say yes. If I ask you, do you love your church, I'm not asking for an honest answer, right? No. (laughs) I'm asking. My heart wants to know you love your church, right? Like there's the... And this plays out in our relationships all the time. Husband comes home from work and says to the wife who's been wrangling kids all day and the house is a disaster, she's been fighting the good fight, which has been one of those days, and he dares say, hey, what's for supper? She says, what do you mean what's for supper? Get your own dang supper. And he goes, well, do you want to go out for supper? She goes, what do you, do you think I can't cook or something? Right? It's like one of those... One of those. That happened in your house, not mine. But we can get our wires crossed on the emotional and the logical. And sometimes we're just communicating for information. We ask logical questions. Sometimes we're communicating for affirmation. Uh, She gets ready and you're going on a date, a Valentine's date this week, and she comes downstairs in that new dress. She says, how do I look in this dress? Gentlemen, is that a logical question or an emotional question? Huh? Do you not know? Okay. This is not the time to say, I don't think blue is your color. It's time to say, yes, you look awesome. Okay. Maybe, maybe we need a quiz here. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask a question and you, all of you at all of our sites, you guys say, whether you think this is an emotional question, I'm looking for Information or I'm looking for affirmation. Okay, so do you think a spouse says, "Do you think I need to lose some weight?" Are they looking for information or affirmation? Yes, correct. That is that is not your job. I uh, just steer clear. It's like no, no, you don't. Nope. Unless they're like a bodybuilder and they've been bulking too much. Otherwise, just stay steer clear of that. Uh, okay, uh, did you pay the bills? Are they looking for affirmation or information? Just information. It's information. It's not a comment on your ability to provide. Uh, would you marry me all over again? Is that information or affirmation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you imagine being with anyone else? Information or affirmation? This is not time to be like, well, yeah, of course I can imagine it. Like, is No. No. We get our wires crossed. We have to learn to listen. We have to learn to listen. And we, and it, and it ta- we have to like actually talk and figure each other out. And, and I have at least in my experience learned like communication, uh, learning each other's language, it, does, it doesn't happen very well by osmosis. I know we like to you know, you watch like a movie like Dances with Wolves. I remember Dances with Wolves. Okay, uh, the modern version of that is called Avatar. Same movie. Uh, where a guy goes and he's taken in by this tribe of people and he just learns their ways and he magically learns their language and he has this moment where just the language clicks and he's able to communicate. Ladies, that moment is never coming where he is going to just figure you out. You have to tell him. You have to help him. It requires, it requires uh, just this investment where we learn how to communicate each other's languages. It's not just hearing that's the problem, it's how we speak to one another we have to learn as well. Uh, One of the best books, if you've ever read Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, uh, it should be required reading for married couples. I think it's just a good book to know about human beings. All of us are designed and wired to interpret information differently, particularly when it comes to the information and affection and love. We don't all hear it and feel it the same way. Gary Chapman says marriages run into problems not because of bad intentions, but poor communication that comes from not understanding how each of us feel loved. His whole premise is that most everybody has a couple primary ways that we feel loved. Many people, it's words of affirmation. Some people, it's physical touch, acts of service, quality time, gifts. That His premise is that everybody has a couple of dominant ways that we feel loved. But here's the, here's the catch. A lot of the time, maybe even most of the time, when you get married, you are marrying someone that doesn't feel loved the same way that you do. And we default to communicate love the way that we receive it. Does that make sense? And so you are a person who's like, you're, you're a... You're a gifts person. And so you go out and you buy the perfect gift for your spouse because you're, you, you want to show her your love. And then she gets it and she's like, yeah, great, thank you. And she didn't respond the way that you thought she should have. And then, But it's because you didn't realize she's a words of affirmation quality time girl. And so the job for the spouse is to learn to communicate love not in the way that I want to hear it or feel it, but in the way they do. And here's a pro tip for you. If you don't know what their love language is, ask them. They'll tell you because they know. What makes you feel? Just ask them. What makes you feel the most love? And then, and then just work it. Like, I wish we weren't so dumb, guys, sometimes. <laughs> Anybody? Like, if, you're, if your girl is uh, like a, she's an active of service girl, here's the, the sweetest talk you could ever do for her. Text her, say vacuumed everything, I'll be here when you get here, Boop, right? You know what time it is, right? It's like, we have to learn how to communicate with each other. We have to learn how to speak each other's languages. This is, this is how we get better. Okay, one more, one more thought for us and we'll be done. I'm almost done. Marriage gets better, when the submission gets better, when the communication and conflict gets better, and then just marriage gets better. I know this is obvious, but it needs to be stated. When the investment gets better, here's what I have found. You grow what you sow, and you grow where you sow, and you grow when you sow. And so often, we will prioritize every relationship in our lives before the most important one. And we'll spend all of our time and money and energy on everyone and everything else. And we'll ignore the most important relationship that is our marriages. And here's the problem we have to face in our day. We live in a day and age that does not think improvement. It thinks replacement. Right? If something goes wrong, if something's not working well, you throw it out and you get a new one. You get an upgrade. This is how our world works. We live in a a replacement worldview culture. However, as a Christian, we have a redemption transformation worldview. Our expectation is that God's not done, and God is able to even take our brokenness and dysfunction and the past and the present and the future, and He's able to create something even more glorious, that God's able to take what is and augment it and make it better. And we have got to not believe the lie that the best way to a good marriage is to get a different one. Amen? Like, like I know we've heard this. I, I, know, I know some of you, we heard, we heard a testimony from Pastor John just a few weeks ago about uh, a gentleman that he knows has been divorced four times, and he's finally realizing every time I got into a new relationship, the same problems showed up. And so my, my thing I would say to you is the relationship that you're in today You need to see yourself as the ultimate problem and say to God, God, you have to help us improve this together. And that we are not going to just replace this relationship, but we want to see your redemption and transformation come. Look, if the neighbor's lawn and the grass is greener on the neighbor's lawn, it is not time to get a new lawn. It's time to learn how to water your own. I remember uh, just a few years ago, I, I've, I've actually learned this lesson literally. Uh, a handful of years ago, we bought a new home uh, here in Quispam Sis. We moved out of our old one. And one of the things I loved about this home, uh, was, which was an upgrade, was that the, the lawn was just incredible. Like, any, any dudes love a good lawn? Am I the only guy? Yeah, just immaculate, awesome, lush, green, no weeds, It's perfect. And coming from my old weed-rattled, moss-covered lawn that I had, I was like, this is unbelievable. And I enjoyed that lawn that first summer. (laughs) And, and, And the second summer a little bit. But then over time, the lawn started to look a lot like my old lawn. And the craziest thing is my friend Colin that I bought the house from, he built a house not far away and he proceeded to make another immaculate lawn and i have learned that that maybe my problem is not the grass maybe the problem is the gardener you see where i'm going it's, it's so true about your marriage it, that, that the problem is, is us, the problem is our ability to invest and to improve and to pull the weeds and to plant the seed and to want to see God bring new life. Can I just speak prophetically over you that God has more in your marriage than you've already had? That there's things yet He wants to do, there's more life and there's deeper deeps and higher highs and there's, more, there's greater glories and deeper intimacy and even not challenges notwithstanding, God's not done in your marriage. And he wants to constantly help us grow healthy marriages. It says in Galatians, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. If you plant haphazardly, you're going you're to have a haphazard crop. If you plant intentionally, if you plant poor seed, you're going to have a poor yield. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. I feel like today that's something just that the Lord is highlighting. Some of you have been married so long and like you're just like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe our best days are behind us. No, like keep investing. Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. So many marriages go relationally bankrupt because the withdrawals constantly outpace the deposits. Yeah? We have to intentionally and consistently invest in our marriages. Here's a couple of just thoughts on investing in your marriage and I'll I'll pray and we'll be done. Number 1, prioritize the relationship. Remember that great marriages are built and come assembly required. It's not gonna come out of the box altogether. In fact, it is a lifelong ongoing renovation building project. Here's a tip. Do the things you did at first. Yeah, if you're if you're like me, I I always try to look to the scripture first. Revelation talks about what happens when we lose our love. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says, you've lost your first love. The passion's gone. So the way back is to do the things you did when there was passion. And that isn't just true of our relationship with God. That is true in our relationships with our spouses. Isn't it amazing when you think back of when you were dating or when you were engaged or when you first got married, some of the stuff you just did naturally in the love phase The key to having those feelings is to continue to do those things or restart doing those things you did at first. So for some of you, you need to date. You need to send notes. Do those things you used to do. It's it's actually a way that you, and I'm not trying to be crass on this, that you make love. That, That love is generated through action. And this is part of a healthy marriage. Some of you need to be intentional with your marriage by working on it. Some of you have some foundational brokenness that needs help and repair, and you should talk to somebody. Meet with a pastor. Meet with a Christian counselor. We've got all kinds of those in our church community. But do the work. Prioritize your relationship. And then here's, here's the thing I want to end with. And I, I'm not ending with this because this is just the churchy thing to do. This is quite literally the best thing you can do for your marriage. You need to learn how to pray. Pray as a husband. Pray as a wife. Pray as a couple. Your marriage came assembly required and battery not included. That there is a power that is supposed to come from God that enables the flourishing of a marriage. And so often we are trying to do marriage in our own strength when it was never meant to flourish that way in the first place. That God actually wants to be involved in your relationship. That he's wanting to be invited in. You need the Holy Spirit in your relationship. So realize that great marriages are built and come, assembly required, and batteries not included. Here's your tip. Actively seek the Lord for and with your spouse. So I've got a couple, I've got some homework for you this week, all right? Yeah? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna give you some homework. I'm gonna pray. Here's here's your homework. Here's your Valentine's Week Christian Marriage Challenge. Number one, we're gonna get less busy Make time for at least one date. Have some quality time. Guys, this week's a layup. I mean, they put it on the calendar for you, okay? <laughs> it's like, man, I, I, will just, I will identify with the guys. I bought my wife roses last week. It's like, I don't want Valentine's Day to be the day to tell me to buy my wife roses. So here, right? Like, no. Get less busy. Number two, married couples. Get busier. We actually have uh, some stuff online that can help you uh, with <laughs> think better about that area. Um, it's not going to help. Anyway. No, like just get together this week. Maybe even a little more than normal. Pastor's orders. <laughs> Number three, pray with each other or for each other daily. I want to challenge you for the next seven days. Uh, For some of you, I I know the idea of praying for your spouse or praying with your spouse is like, whoa, shouldn't it tell you, shouldn't it be a clue to you how, how like powerful prayer and how much God wants to be invited into the intimacy of your marriage that a lot of us have a hard time praying with the one that we are most intimate with. Isn't that a wild thought that you can can have sex with a person for a life and have a hard time praying together? I think that gives us a clue into how just powerful and how needed prayer is in the intimacy of a marriage. And so my my challenge to you this week is, uh, maybe maybe you don't have a believing spouse. Pray for him every week. Pray for her every day this week. Uh, Maybe you've never prayed together as a married couple. I'm going to challenge you, uh, if you can pray for pray with each other every day this week uh, if, you, if that's too much of a leap i'm going to challenge you then okay, take a baby step and pray for your spouse every single day add add their name to the card you're already praying for for our kids seven day prayer challenge and the seven day get busier challenge all right yeah like not seven days is a lot for the get busier okay do like do like three do three <laughs> I don't know. Find what's a lot for you. For, for some of you, it's not. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's, a good, that's a good place to end. Would you stand to your feet? you <laughs> stand to your feet pray for us? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for truth. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for joy. Thank you for laughter. Lord, thank you for our marriages. God, thank you that they're, they're your idea and it's your design and we just acknowledge that we need you in them. Father, I pray for a wave of marital health over our church right now in Jesus' name. Lord, would you help us make wise decisions and good investments. Lord, for past brokenness, would you bring healing. God, I pray right now over our marriages just the word of redemption in a replacement culture. Lord, thank you that even our past mistakes you can take and you can cause to become glory and strength for us. So, Father, I pray just a wave of restoration, renewal, healing, strength over marriages, God. I pray that you help us do the things we did at first, Lord. I pray you help us communicate better. Lord, I pray that you help us in reverence of Christ. Would you help us submit to one another selflessly as he did before you, God? Would you help us today? So, Lord, I just pray your health. In Jesus' name, over every marriage in this house, we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. amen.